Welcome to Bale Street. Hosted by Danny Moses and Ira Juddelson, this is the show that takes a larger-than-life look at the world of crime and finance. Learn more and subscribe today at BaleStreet.com. Hello and welcome to Bale Street. I'm Danny Moses. I'm Ira Juddelson. This week on Bale Street, Conor McGregor, Ira faced a judge over an alleged Alleged. No, alleged. actually it wasn't alleged. There was video of it. But uh, there's a lot of backstories to the whole situation. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah. So Connor's we'll talk good about people. It. Very loyal guy. You've been all over the New York Post. You've been on TMZ. Yes, you're, Channel you're... 4, Channel 7, Daily Mail. I've been all over the place, all including right. the Irish Times. Really? Yeah, I don't know if you read that. I know Friends of the Irish? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Very good. I got my friend in here, Mitch Barukowitz. He's going to stop in here, talk about cannabis investing through his uh, Merida Capital Partners, one of the premier funds and private equity investing in the world of cannabis. And for full disclosure, I'm an investor with Mitch. We'll get to that. I, I'm not an investor, Mitch, but I do smoke. You don't smoke, know. though, ever. Know. Really? Yeah, I've smoked You're, I've seen you smoke. You're no, lunatic. I've smoked before. Really? Yeah. You're going to bail yourself out? Well, uh, I mean, I smoke, you know, my own house. And, All right. Know, Fair time. enough. Mitch right. provides me the stuff. And speaking of the <laughs> Tenth Amendment, which uh, federalism, Ira, I know you studied the Constitution, but one of the things in the Tenth Amendment is let states do what they want to do. Well, but, you got to understand, I might not have studied the Constitution, but I did see Hamilton. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Very good. With that, we're going to talk about sports gambling and the Supreme Court decision, which is about to come down with Chris Christie versus the Supreme Court and about legalizing sports gambling. In the state of New Jersey, which will lead to other states, which conjoins with cannabis, I believe, as a moneymaker for local economies. So it means smoke and then bet a game? Well, that'd be premiered. Go into a sports bar, bet and smoke. Oh. That's a good state. That what state's going to do? do well. Exactly. Okay. So let's start it off here with Conor McGregor. And Ira, why don't you tell what happened here? And I think it's staged. You're going to tell me it's not. It's absolutely not staged. Go ahead. I got the phone call Friday afternoon on my way home. It was Connor's attorneys. They expressed to me that Connor had an incident, which, believe it or not, on my flip phone, I didn't get a chance to see, but my kids and everybody around America saw that Connor had some issues over at the Barclays Center. It is not staged. Connor um, basically is a loyal man and a very... Loyal man to his friends. He, he had some issues, came to uh, the United States to, to deal with them, and obviously had some situation that, you know, got a little bit out of control over Hold at on. Barclay. Came to the United States to deal with issues. He came to the United States and created an issue. What well, do you mean? He came to protect his friend. I, I would do the same thing for you, wouldn't you? So his story is that he came here in order to protect his friend and created the situation. Correct. Can you, can you explain that? Well, he, he came to, uh, allegedly came to the United States, and uh, somebody was picking on one of his friends, and he came to support his friend. Bus almost hit him, and he got very upset and, you know, went down the uh, the ramp, and obviously the rest was on video. So he's facing what charges? He's facing a D felony. He's facing a D and a couple of assault felonies, uh, excuse me, assault misdemeanors that hopefully, you know, will will go away. And uh, again, Connor is is a loyal soldier, loyal to his friends. Got the call Friday, put everything together, worked out a bail package so he'd be able to fly back to Dublin. Also to give him back his passports for him and his friend. And uh, hopefully now everything will work itself out for Connor. So what happens now? So he posted $50,000. $50,000 bond for Connor, yes. And he, he needed a bond and he couldn't put up cash because he wasn't well, liquid in the that, United States. Well, or? I mean, I mean, I don't. I know maybe you or maybe Mitch, <laughs> but not that a lot of people walk around with fifty thousand dollars cash in their pockets. So you know, Connor didn't have that. And so I'm who, sorry. So if you're sorry. Let me finish. Go ahead. Okay. okay. So Connor came to me, and we put the bail package together. Now he, you know, he's he's out doing his thing. Do you say what you charge a guy like that? Yeah, Connor, I won't. I won't mention it on the air. But Connor's a friend. 
Connor's a friend now. Connor's a friend. Yeah, because he Connor's pays you money. Connor's my boy. We're That's having a... soda bread together. So exactly. Connor's my man. So a guy like that. Connor took a picture with my son Casey. Took a picture in my office with my son I saw. Casey. That tops the bar mitzvah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Is he going to perform at the bar mitzvah? He's going to knock the shit out of 400 <laughs> Jews that come to my daughter's bar mitzvah. mitzvah. You know, that's I'm, what I asked him I'm to do. I'm just going to point out, I'm just sitting oh, here. Oh, that's listening. Mitch, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. Let's Mitch welcome and... Mitch to the front yeah. stage. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, just, I might point out that Ira, Danny, uh, given your background, that Ira is providing leverage to people who are potentially in legal problems. So, you, since you're anti leverage in some places, have you ever thought, is there a way to short the. Uh, the bail business. Well, well, I that think was the last episode <laughs> yes. with Promise. If Promise takes off, you're dead. Well, hopefully. Well, again, I'm not against Promise. I want to go back for a second. You charged fifty thousand dollars. I'm sorry. No, the court, I bound the it court out. set the right. bail at fifty thousand. Right. Why fifty? Can you give me? If that was somebody that, else, okay. Hold on. It's Conor McGregor. If that's somebody else, right. The average Joe, right. Is that fifty thousand dollars? It might be less. Really? It might be less. Remember, Connor's big thing here is Connor wanted to fly back to Dublin or fly to England or fly wherever he wants to go, giving him his passport. When the Brooklyn DA's office found out that I was involved, they said, well, if Mr. Jettleson is going to take responsibility and, and worry about Connor's court dates, then we'll set a bond of 50000 So we're giving Connor you know, the authority to go back and forth and do whatever he has to do because that's how he makes his living. So in your opinion, he never serves a day in jail. I don't this. know about that. I yes, mean, you do. I uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I hope not. I don't think so. But again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think so. But you never know. Do you think the charges end up getting dropped? I don't know if the charges will get dropped as much as uh, I hope that Connor obviously is going to choose the right representation and, and, and hopefully plea this case out and, and, and let him go on his way. Because again, as I say this one more time, you know, I come across a lot of people in my industry. I've bailed out a lot of stars. Conor McGregor is a very, very good man with a loyal soldier and a good family man. And when's the next time? When's his next court appearance? Does he have to come back? June fourteenth. Yes, of course. That's what I'm here for. If he doesn't, I got an issue. <laughs> you better find him. Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to Dublin. Did you find out if any of his fights have been fixed? Were you able to talk there's to him no at all about fights. Floyd Mayweather? It, uh, come on, there's a revolving door in the MMA. Who's the next? Did you take champion? the next fight with Floyd as collateral? Well, listen. If Floyd wants to give me a hundred million, I'd fight him <laughs> any place, anywhere, anytime. Is this your first bail? No. You had a boxer that we exonerated the bell yes. in the Bahamas when we were playing craps yes. who died. Yes. Is this your most infamous boxer slash MMA guy? Um, uh, yeah, based on that, I think you know, as far as MMA boxing, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking back. I don't think I, I I had a young boxer in his career when he when he came out a long time ago. I can't remember his name. Well, if you're really good to the show, you'll wave the bell and tell Connor all he has to do is come on our Connor, podcast. Let me tell you, Connor. I love you talking about Connor his first name. will come out. Yeah. Connor okay. will come on our show when I ask him to. Really? Yeah. Okay. He's a loyal guy. Do you think Casey will fight him if he gets up to his weight? I want my son, if he gets another six months of experience, to go in it with Connor. Okay. All right? Perfect. Either, and then at the end of that, we're going to go after Mitch together. Tag team style. Yes. All right. Well, that's a good segue. Right into Mitch. Here we yes, go. Yes, here we go, Mitch. As we continue on Bale Street, we're excited to have Mitch Barukowitz to discuss legalized cannabis. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Bale Street. Welcome back to Bell Street. This week we're excited to be chatting with Mitch Barukowitz. Mitch is a founder and managing member of Merida Capital Partners. I met Mitch through a mutual friend about a year ago, and for full disclosure, I made an investment in Merida soon after meeting Mitch. I personally haven't 
seen an opportunity like this, certainly on the long side, in years, is from an investment perspective. Because you short everything. Exactly. And I've been dealing with the regulatory issues with dealing with banks and financials for a long time, so I can appreciate the issues in the banking system as it relates to the legality and the banking of the sector. Uh, so, Mitch, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here with you and Ira. You got it. So, Ira, obviously, this is an issue, again, that's going against your business. Of course. Because when you legalize cannabis, you're taking business away from yourself. So, right. I'm not going to be taking out a lot of the marijuana dealers. Some of the Jamaicans that come into the... There could uh, be more DUIs or other things. That well, that's a good question. People. I want to ask you that question. Yeah. Um, you know, what are they going to do with that now when someone's driving and they're under the influence of marijuana? Uh, well, it... Look, there's a lot of areas in cannabis that have a space race, you know, whether it's innovation on products. And one of the innovations that really has been, at least on my mind for a long time, is the, the law enforcement angle, which is how do you actually see if someone is, is necessarily driving while impaired. And I think it's a subjective element, but what's not subjective is how much cannabis in your blood could impair you. And I think people are working on metabolites or other things that you can actually right on the, on the spot, you know, instead of doing a test where you could be nervous and stumble. But it's hard to tell when someone's stoned, they don't smell like something necessarily. So I think there's a bunch of companies out there that are trying to create law enforcement tools that allow you to do a test. Because, I mean, I think there's a general consensus that people who are stoned probably drive either cautiously or not necessarily as overtly dangerously as people who are, have consumed too much alcohol. So, Ira, to your point... Tiger Woods wasn't drunk when he was pulled over. No. Driving while intoxicated. It was pain pills. Right. Which and is valium. not cannabis. And valium. And valium. But, pain, but cannabis could have a similar impact in terms of someone who's just slow to react to something. Right? Very, so, very much so. So hopefully Mitch finds a company, and we'll go into that in his investment process, within the Merida Capital Portfolio that maybe creates a tool that can diagnose that in a patient. Well, we've, so, we've looked at a few. I mean, it's, it's just typical that it, because it's cannabis and you don't have a lot of uh, legality yet, you don't get the innovation you would get from like a pharmaceutical company who would create metabolites or reagents or something where you can do it on the, on the spot. So it's, I think until something was more uh, reliable and tested a million times, you're just going to get a bunch of entrepreneurial approach, but it, it's moving that way. There's a few companies who seem to have some promising uh, angles on it. Now, so, right now in Denver, yeah, it's legal. It's completely recreationally adult use legal. In- and what's going on out there? What's the, what's, what, it, how do the police feel about it out there? You're going to get a lot of mixed uh, – if you talk to law enforcement, you get two sides. One is that you get uh, an approach where a lot of the law enforcement people think it should be legal and it's just another thing that they have to deal with in their normal – the normal scope of their, uh, of their law enforcement responsibility. So someone's stoned, someone's s- smoking on the street. You can get a ticket there for smoking on the street really? even though it's legal. Whereas in New York, if you walk down the streets, you smell it everywhere. Yeah, I, and no one's giving any tickets. Smelled that at the Barclays Center. Yeah, the you other sm- night. smell it across the street before Connor, we walked in. I got high when I walked in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, look, I, 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 we went to a concert there, and the guy was joking that the week before was the weekend. That was the concert, and he said you walked in, and it was like a cloud when you walked into yeah. the Barclays. Great Center, hair, right? So anyway, so what homes. I would say is, from I think that the, if you talk to law enforcement in Denver, they, there's other so domestic disputes. Other things have gone down because alcohol usage has gone down. Right. So things, you know, alcohol, I think there's a lot of um, circumstantial anecdotal evidence about what alcohol does and what cannabis does. You know, cannabis makes you hungry. It can also make you slow, groggy, uh, tired, similar to other pharmaceuticals. But I think alcohol makes you more aggressive, typically. So the driving's different. I think law enforcement, if you pull over a stone driver, you're a lot less likely to get like a 
an adversarial interaction. You might get like a, hey, why'd you pull me over? Or you might just fall asleep before yeah, you, you speak to the cop. Right. Or, you know, or might ask you if you have any snacks in your car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, but all joking aside, I think law enforcement generally, it seems to me like they tend to judge uh, how things work based on the, the circumstantial elements of their business. And law enforcement probably is less to deal with, you know, and, but I, I will say in Nevada, they're having a lot of difficulty in how do you deal with it in the casinos because casinos are so geared up towards dealing with really rowdy drunk people. True. And so my, I was in Nevada for a large conference and I don't think they know how to deal with, Hey, this guy's just walking through the casino. He may have cannabis on him. He may have just smoked. You don't need to rouse that guy. I know what happens. He turns a 16 into a 26 and he's not as upset as the well, guy that was sure. But no, I'm saying in general, yeah. though, like when people are, they're not walking through screaming at each other and they might be outside smoking and they want to, bust them. Or, right, because IRA's legal now in the state of Nevada, right. but not in the casino per se. So I think casino a, personnel is geared up towards like a so, very much so machismo, you know, tackle a drunk person. And, okay. So let's let's back yeah, up sure. here. So let's talk about your background sure. and kind of what led up to you founding Merida Capital Partners. And okay. Maybe spend a few minutes on sure. that. Sure. Um, I was uh, working, um, I was on Wall Street working in an algorithmic uh, or day trading company that was developing technology and Why trading. even bring that up? Yeah. Well, I know. Well, you, you did. Uh, I heard you had something to do with Flash Boys. And, you know, some of the technology we were using back then, those software development kits actually became the underlying technology for it. So there is a connection we had there you go. years ago. Yep. So we were meant to meet. But I was working there and I had a partner. There was my brother and I had a business with a, a third partner. And um, that partner got hit by a car and was paralyzed very tragically. Mm-hmm. And through his recovery process, um, would would just a tremendous, my friend Ethan, he was just such a tremendous individual. And looking at what he went through, he said, hey, I don't think I can live on opioids. Opioids are not, you know, they're, they're for forgetting, they're for putting you to sleep and you wake up the next day and it's just difficult, right? Because you, you have to do it all over again. And he wanted to look for an alternative and cannabis seemed like the, you know, he, had, he was obviously pretty familiar with the product, but not medical grade, which was coming out. And it was really coming out of the West Coast. So as East Coasters, it was a challenge to find medical grade versions of of cannabis through the black market here. And he also was the kind of person, always very thoughtful. He wanted to find stuff that he knew what was in it. He wanted to know how it was grown. Did it have any contaminants? And so through his experience, um, we had run into, we have a lot of friends who'd lived out there and I had some business contacts. And he just started building a business out there with some friends of ours that we had grown up with. And then over time, the business evolved where I was working on Wall Street. I was the deputy general counsel of a a large public company and doing a lot of uh, corporate governance and just filing uh, 10 Qs and Ks and doing that, all kinds of work. That means he's a lawyer, Ira. Yeah, oh, well, okay. I'm a lawyer right. as well. Lawyers, yeah. okay. And um, so even though I was in the day trading world, I did join my brother and my friend out of law school, uh, right out of law school. So I always loved trading. That was the highlight. 2000 was Amazon moving 100 points a day. And it was just a great time to be in that space. And so through that experience of, of working with him and answering a billion questions from my friends in Colorado who had no clue about structuring and capital and the illegality through that experience, I started to realize that there, if you could provide normalized governance and corporate structure, there's a real business here. And it was lacking. And then Connecticut changed its law and was going to give out a few licenses. And you're a Connecticut resident. You know, it's not a state where a lot of people knew about. It was sort of just under the, uh, the radar. And ultimately, we turned around and we, we rejoined forces. We applied together. We finished first by a mile. And um, we soon realized that as legalized medical cannabis was going to become this really concentrated industry, it was going to compete with the recreational side that was sort of coming out of the West Coast. And through those two, we 
I just started to realize there was going to be a big clash of regulation meets pioneering meets innovation meets pharmaceutical. And in that white space, uh, it just seemed to me that there could be a great investment thesis if you if you were disciplined about so, it. So my entire interest came from the opioid epidemic, which is going on. That's when I came to you. Not I don't. It's not does not affect me personally. Fortunately, it doesn't affect anyone in my family. Although we all have friends that have been impacted by it. To me, it was a no brainer in the sense of why not wean people off of opioids and or in lieu of giving them opioids, give them cannabis as a first treatment as opposed to, because it just makes all the sense in the world. And it's my sense that, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, that the pharmaceutical industry is very aware of the trend, has lined the pockets of certain politicians in Washington to prevent the legalization or slow down the legalization process. I'd love to get your thoughts yeah, so, on that. So we don't engage too much in the... Uh, and definitely through the Merida side, we we don't engage in the, the lobbying or we're not trying to change the laws. We're just doing our best to invest with the structures that currently exist. But I will say that I think prison guard associations, you know, unions are uh, probably against legalization. I mean, sure I will barely are. get hurt. But I mean, if you talk about the California Prison Guards Association, I mean, they can't be huge fans of reducing the population by 30, 40, 50, 60 percent because cannabis has historically been something that has, has really disproportionately affected minorities. And then it's a first offense, and then they get a second offense, and all of a sudden the penalties are much greater. Sure. Getting bail is much greater. And and I think if you look historically, I was just reading recently, uh, Danny and I, we have a, we, we're reading a book together at the same time. But, you know, if you're, if you're reading, if you're in cannabis and you're really intellectually curious about how this is going to change the world, you're reading all kinds of things about criminality and really just how society deals with criminals who are doing something that doesn't affect other people. So you think you, you think that if uh, New York legalizes cannabis it's just going to be a stepping stone for every other state? Well, not not we I try to use the terms so just let's make sure we have the nomenclature right. At the federal level you're not going to get a legalization. You're going to get a decriminalization or a descheduling. Each state can legalize it but you can't get a federal legalization because there's not going to be like a 2000 page thou shalt why don't, why don't you touch on that for a second? Yeah, because sure. there's schedules of drugs. There's schedule one, there's schedule two, there's schedule three. Marijuana was scheduled in the late 60s as a schedule one drug. And so that's what's prevented the funding. Well, but it was illegal from 1934 correct. in the Controlled actually, Substances Act. Correct. But they actually categorized it, if I'm not mistaken, as right. a schedule one drug. Right. So Mitch's point is if you just deschedule or reschedule that drug to a two or a three, not only would you get government funding for the health benefits of not just cannabis, well, part of cannabis is CBD. But you would it would just open up the floodgates, and there's, that's my back to my point about the pharmaceutical industry that's been blocking it. But yeah, so I, I think I mean this goes so many different directions, but just to focus the the direct thing that you asked, I think pharmaceutical companies generally aren't opposed to it because they're doing research in Europe. I mean, just like there are companies doing research on MDMA. So if ecstasy was to become quote unquote legal or the the underlying instead of like weed being THC and CBD. MDMA being ecstasy. There, so people use ecstasy in Europe for uh, post-traumatic stress and other areas. And so I think... People use it differently here. Yeah. The, so I, <laughs> oh, I think, well, obviously. So the FDA, uh, that actually, the FDA process for approval skews how people use pharmaceuticals here. There are a lot of people who are testing off-label. That's why when a, a pharmaceutical company creates a product, they have to fight like crazy to keep it on label because they want that protection because if you can use it for off label, the next thing you know, you're going to get 40 different uses and that competes with their core use. So I think in, in terms of cannabis, pharmaceutical companies are probably intrigued because it's a new product class. But one thing they don't like is the fact that cannabis is developed from the bottom up. So one of the things that Danny and I spoke about originally, and Danny was one of the toughest investors ever to, to really bring on board because he's so thoughtful about, so thoughtful and skeptical about 
investment thesis in general, you really have to prove to him that you know what you're talking about and that you've thought through a lot of the uh, exigent elements that can affect your business. And, you know, I think we've, we had a lot of deep conversations before you really engaged. And, and I think one of the things he, he was impressed by is that we were so curious about what are the effects of minority populations who now should engage, should make money off this industry rather than being criminalized. But to go to, to what you asked, pharmaceutical companies are really scared about the fact that if you're GW Pharma and you've just spent three, $400 million testing Epidiolex in Europe, which is an epilepsy drug, you're going to be competing with five to 25 or 30,000 growers who are already helping people with epilepsy right here and they don't have FDA approval. You're going to be competing with people who can make a CBD or a TAC oil. They, people have gotten really good in the United States. There's been so much innovation because there's so much entrepreneurial spirit that's being unlocked. You have chemists, you have MIT physicists, you have all these people working to unlock the, the properties of, the, of cannabis and they're unlocking it in, in fits and starts as it legalizes in small pieces. And so they're, they're literally creating products that it's like GW Pharma, and I don't want to just highlight them. There's a lot of pharmaceutical companies, but they're a specific pharmaceutical company that gets credit for moving the space forward. I think they're going to have a challenge in people who are already getting epilepsy relief. There's oils that people can use from Leafline Labs, which is a grower I, I invested in in Minnesota. People can use that oil and reduce their seizures from 500 to 300 to 200 to 100 because CBD and TC work. At a tenth work. of the price. And at a tenth of the price. And at, so. and at a tenth of the price. And so I'm, what I'm actually interested in is, so going directly to what we just talked about, the legalization, is if there's a descheduling, you're going to have this massive OTC market, which is essentially what, it, what the market is right now. You have a huge OTC market of really effective medicines. And then you're going to have these FDA, and, there, and, I, and for me, I have a hard time seeing what the pitch is at the FDA level. Is it, we're going to get insurance reimbursement because insurance companies care about cost-benefit analysis. And we've already seen in Canada that one insurance company is already reimbursing or is opening the door for reimbursement. Germany so, the same. Sunlight and Germany the same. So I'm interested. I mean, these are all things that you don't wrap this into one investment thesis. You wrap it into this is something that we use at Merida to cross – we cross-reference information and then look for actionable ways to invest in – not necessarily the specific thesis, but the general thesis of regulation, uh, insurance reimbursement, the, the advent of medical with adult use, how they all come together. And then we, we look for the way we now describe it as an internal team is cannabis feels like a very abundant business. There's a ton of entrepreneurs. There's a ton of growers. There's a ton of extractors. There's 37 states that are allowing some form of it. There's another eight states that allow CBD. And we're looking for the scarcity in that abundance. We're looking for what isn't being covered? Is it compliance? Is it validation? Is it p potentially something on the law enforcement side? So we're trying to identify scarcity in the abundance and then develop an investment thesis and look for companies that fit the other things that fit a normalized investment thesis. Is the corporate governance there? Does it have our, our defragmentation aspect? So there's a lot of other elements, which I'm sure- Time frame. Last gone. Time frame for- Legalization. So, okay, just going back to, at the federal level, you're not going to get a legalization, in, in my opinion. You're not going to get a this is how we regulate it. So that's a legalization. You're going to get a descheduling, which opens up the door for states to do it themselves, which is what Danny wants to cover in his third segment with gambling, which is the 10th Amendment reserves to the states what the federal government shouldn't regulate. And under the Commerce Clause, and there's a lot of, I know a little con law enough to be dangerous. I think you're going to find that that, you know, we're not going all the way back to like the Civil War and Henry Clay and state nullification, but I think you do see 
echoes of that in terms of it's interesting that as Trump, because Trump's president, you get a lot of states fighting with the federal government in a way that we haven't seen in years. Correct. So it's an so, interesting interterm. But my investment thesis in, the, in theory should be neutral to whether the federal government legalizes it or deschedules it and what states do. So we're actually banking on the fact that there's just going to be more regulation generally, because when you get legalization or descheduling, it doesn't mean the federal government steps out of it. It means that they regulate it through agencies. The EPA right. is going to make sure that you don't use the most toxic substance in the world. I'm not going to so that sure. someone, yeah, someone doesn't want to smoke formaldehyde. And we don't want to make it too easy for our children nowadays to... Uh... Packaging is a good example. So when we go through our portfolio, I'll show you how we've invested to... Most of our thesis is investing in things that, that allow operators to better comply with regulations that are coming, but also for people to have more information, more security, for the governments to regulate it better. Those are areas that we think are going to be really big investment areas. What is the most misunderstood part of the industry in terms of people just so... Probably most, rolling. What's that? Probably rolling it. Roll. <laughs> most, <laughs> There's pre-rolls now. There's a whole product class. It's a yeah. pre-roll. Which I just wrote about. In one of the companies. Yeah. So <laughs> people think of cannabis as an, from an investment perspective as, oh, some guy who was kind of a loser in college, went out to Colorado, became a grower, opened a dispensary. He's not making a lot of money. And that's what they think that this cannabis business is. And they choose to ignore it instead of really taking a hard look at what the, what the opportunities is. So, Mitch, within Merida, let's talk about, so Fund 1, which is now closed. Right. Fund 2, which is, you know. We just part, opened it 30 days ago and have raised more money in Fund 2, basically, than, than it took us, you know, 18 months. Because, like, people are coming to the realization that there's a real investment here, and it's asymmetric. It's asymmetrically large compared to other asset classes right now. So, so back to what I believe is the biggest hindrance right now is the banking industry. Now, the, because it's a Schedule 1 drug, IRA, that means that if you're an FDIC bank, so if you insure your deposits from the government at a bank, you are not allowed to do any business that is deemed to be illegal by the federal government, or you will not, you'll be shut down or not receive those benefits that the federal government's giving you. So it's a huge hypocrisy in a way, but it also creates an opportunity for people like Merida and Mitch, because the cost of capital is so massively high right now for companies. Mitch can go find a company and say, hey, and Mitch is a great negotiator and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take X amount of warrants. I'm going to lend you X amount of money. You can go out and buy all these mom and pops that you want, but I'm going to take 25% of your company or 20% of your company or warrants that will generate 20% equity ownership. And they have to say yes, because they can't go to a bank and get a loan. They can't use their property. Well, they property. don't have to say yes to us, though. Well, but not you're to you, but I'm general. saying they right. can't go get collateral for their right. property. They can't. So I just want to bring up an example, and Mitch, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. There are several several publicly traded large companies. Scott's Miracle Grow, $5 billion market cap. Waters, $15 billion market cap. Agilent, $21 billion market cap. They've been generating a ton of growth. It's not the majority of their sales, but it's a big... And I look at the bankers for these companies, the ones that are providing lines of credit, the ones that are underwriting their deals. It's Bank America. It's Wells Fargo. It's J.P. Morgan. It's U.S. Bank Corp. Yet, I watch in the news, one of your investments, a lab company, lab testing company, got shut down. One of their offices got shut down in the, in the state well, of Alaska. not office. They're banking. They're banking. Their banking got shut down. Right. By Wells Fargo in right. Alaska, because Wells Fargo, who's under all kinds of pressure anyway from the regulator, says, oh, we can't deal in cannabis. Yet here's Wells Fargo making tens of millions of dollars banking the very, very big company. So I want to get your thoughts on so, what a hurdle this is and what an opportunity that may be. So, uh, so first, let me just answer the biggest myth, because there are a lot of big myths. Um, I mean, one of the big biggest myths, in my opinion, is what we just discussed, which is that there will be this sort of like, you know, clap, thunderclap, and then it'll be legal. 
And I think the the lumpy uh, legalization is actually creating a lot of opportunity. It's actually helping the industry grow at an appropriate rate so that, you know, if tomorrow it was broadly available everywhere, you might find quality control being an issue or validation and people could smoke something that has something toxic in it where it could take the industry back. I think one of the myths is that there that there's a quote-unquote legalization coming at the federal level, whereas it's really more of a descheduling and it's going to be a state-by-state, like a liquor control model. Uh, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but liquor literally cannot be transported across state lines unless you have a distribution license. And Neither can fe- tobacco. Oh. Ira, let's talk. And a lot of hazmat bales. stuff. You've done some bails in that transporting of alcohol and well, tobacco. Of, well, tobacco is, you know, been one of my biggest bonds that I've written in the last, you know, couple of years with people going to Virginia or North Carolina or... The, the stamp tax, right? Yeah, Essentially the tax. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you, there's no penalties really in the, right. the monies. And they're selling the singles, the single cigarettes for, for more than you can even imagine. A single cigarette's going for $9 sometimes on the street, you know? You've got to really love smoking to pay 9 bucks <laughs> for a cigarette. I mean, you, you can't... The addiction. I, I got to be honest. It, it For me, it's it just, as, as a little aside... You, there's nothing I won't even you know nine bucks for something that's gone three seconds after you have it it's just for me it's a little bit uh, it's it's too it's almost like sex I guess lap dances wow. aren't for you yeah no probably not yeah right. not very much let's welcome Mitch to the front stage <laughs> yeah. special yeah. K's of the right. background right, right. right. Um, so, but I, th- so I think, so I think the biggest myth is the, uh, is the legal, what I love about your podcast, it goes everywhere. We right? go everywhere. We, we pretty much covered it, everything. you know? Everything. So, uh, but I, I do, I would say that, um, the interplay in banking is actually really interesting. I do think, I don't, I don't want to use the word hypocrisy because I think that has a negative connotation. What I would say is it's inconsistency and it's because it's an unknown, it's being created from scratch. So people don't have a context for the cannabis space. If you think about the legalization of alcohol, the 18, uh, I'm sorry. Is it the 18th Amendment mm-hmm. legalized alcohol, I believe, or the 21st? Uh, Ira, which was it? I have to call Bugsy and ask. Yeah, uh, yeah. But he's gone now. Yeah. So I, I'll ask Lucky. Yeah, you guys have totally confused me by throwing lap dances That's in there. Right. But um, yeah. so, uh, and Ira's and Ted Stare is scaring me a little bit, but no, I'm kidding. But uh, so the amendment that legalized. <laughs> he just wants to know when he has to bail you out. Yeah, no, he, he, he's, he he's asked to, me for he, samples. I just want to know why you're so high on the show right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not true, not true. He's just I don't sizing think you up. You can talk for... this fast if you're high. Yeah, but. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that when you run into the, the legalization of alcohol, people use that as an analog a lot. And it's really a bad one because alcohol was legalized in one shot by a, an amendment that two thirds of the states you know, passed. And when it was legalized, four to five families controlled all of the importation of brown liquor. And it took about if you want to compare alcohol and cannabis, which, I, again, I don't think is a, a really good analogy. You would compare it to the, de- the the development of state-based distilleries, which took 20 to 30 years for a whole alcohol sort of industry to grow up. The first five to 10 years was all importation of brown liquor. And that's why the, the, the bloodiest time of alcohol was like the first month after legalization because people were fighting over the these rights, you know, at the mafia level. Obviously, the, the Kennedys. No, wait, wait, wait. There's no such thing as mafia. Okay. Alleged. alleged. Okay. Alleged mafia. So there was Please. alleged criminal. By the way, hold on. There's an alleged house in Westchester Iowa lives in created by bailing out alleged yes. mafia members. Yes. Anyway, go alleged. ahead. Yes. I yeah. will use alleged. Uh, okay. yeah. There is an alleged illegal cannabis business uh, as well. Allegedly. So, yeah, allegedly. So, um, I, and I think that analog that people use is, you know, humans are, are big pattern recognition engines. And we try to look for meaning and substance in things that look like things we've seen before so that we can make sense of them. And because cannabis doesn't really have a great analog, whether it's regulators, and I think a lot of the regulators, uh, and one of them is on the the advisory board of Merida, the guy, uh, Bill Rubenstein, who built the Connecticut program, if you ask him, how did you do that? 
he'll tell you that a lot of it was was really a thoughtful approach to the history and the the legislative dicta that the Connecticut regulations, because he was handed like a 15 page law and he had to create like 100 pages of regulations from it. And so you think of how it's regulated on the state basis. And so the it's not again, I don't want to like disagree with you, but I think hypocrisy, it's you have to understand that Wells Fargo doesn't know how to deal with something that's becoming legal in states that's illegal at the federal level. They've never really dealt with it. So they're trying to deal with it in a rational way. And they're, they're But look, I don't think it's fair what they did because I think it's unfair that they're giving Scott's Miracle Grow, who literally has a $100 million line called Hawthorne, I think it's a little unfair that they would... They have no problem making money that way. And Scott's Miracle Grow is not really seen as a cannabis company. And sure, you know, 4.8 of the $5 billion or whatever they do of revenue is other places. But to pretend that Scott's Miracle Grow isn't deeply involved in the cannabis space at this point. Well, I mean, I'm looking at, you know... They I go, mean, they given that their announcement... Look at their earnings. They have a whole section... By the way, a question was asked of Molson Coors. Constellation may have invested in a Canadian company, but you can't pretend that Constellation is now not in the cannabis business. So I want to so, go to that right now. So, And I don't know if they're bankers. It seemed to me like people were ecstatic. You know, Cowan & Co., which is one of the good companies that covers the space, Vivian Azer, she was saying that that gives them now asymmetric upside to their competitors, which is funny because meanwhile, everyone's losing their banking. So she's saying, hey, this, you know, can, uh, I'm sorry, Constellation is a better bet because of this. Meanwhile, Steep Hill is losing their banking in Alaska. So, so just I, so people know. So I don't want to use hypocrisy. I think it's an inconsistency. I, I, don't, okay. I don't, I think hypocrisy Let's be clear. Wrong. Wall Street will make them, they're, they'll, they'll turn they'll down money. They'll money. Well, they'll turn down money when it's not significant. So if there's a lab company in, you know, the state of yeah. Alaska yeah. where they're making a couple hundred grand right. from. Okay. Right. So Constellation Brands, everyone should know, or if you do not know, is a domestic U.S. US listed company, STZ. Uh, they invested $190 million in Canopy up in Canada. The symbol is weed. So you can't get more exposed than that. Then that's the symbol of the company. Overpaid. But they also realized that alcohol is being impacted in all the jurisdictions and states where cannabis is legalized. And it's they're right. down 15%, down 17% sales of alcohol. Right. So this is not the, – the horse is out of the barn here. And I want to get your thought on – M&A, I know you believe, and you've said for a long time, that all the Canadian public companies are way overvalued. I never said that. Okay. But if anyone wants an investment from Merida, Danny is, no, I'm kidding. No, I think, well, I, I I think say, I'm there, not the only, I mean, look, there's a Forbes article, Barron's, the cover of Barron's last week. There, last week. There, there's a scarcity value from, to owning certain things that people want to express. From the Merida perspective, it's way overpriced. I yeah. don't mean in the world. Look, it's hard relative to say. Relative to your portfolio. If relative your portfolio, to my portfolio, it is. But I, but I just want to be clear that we, you know, and, and you know, Danny, we have a golden rule at Merida which is we try to support the industry in every which way. And that's why I didn't mean to, if I'm singling out, uh, GW is obviously the most prominent sort of pharmaceutical company directly in the space. But I think it's, when we talk about things, it's often on a relative basis. It's not on an absolute basis. I, whether, uh, no, can, I, you know, can be spending a hundred million dollars in 15 places, they may hit some home runs. But yeah, I mean, I think on a general basis, when a company is trading at 75 times its lifetime earnings, any normal person who's worked on Wall Street would say that's kind of overpriced. Let me bring that back full circle. Yes. You're argument or your statement really from what i understand is that your portfolio at the canadian valuations would be through the roof now, i mean you can't even consider it that way because they're public and their scarcity again the scarcity and the abundance yeah canada is the only first world country that has a it might be medical but it is a federally legal medical regime they actually have i to the point we were making before they are federally legal there so canada is unique in that perspective it there is a large law run by something called health canada where you know what you're getting on the federal level, and sure, there's individual provincial laws, 
But from a federal level, it is absolutely legal at the federal level, which is why you have banking, which is why you have a constellation investment. So if there, if everyone's interest has to be funneled into a first world country, well, Canada is the only one with a blinking light that says open right now. Everyone else says closed. And so, but to your point, and I want to make one other point about the banking also, which is really important. If you're Wells Fargo and you're spending a disproportionate amount of your time or your bandwidth on this one small company, look, everyone should be able to make a business decision based on bandwidth and priorities and all that stuff. I will make one point. One of the reasons why Merida exists and one of the things I think we do really well and we have other people in the space that do it extremely well as well, but I think it's one thing we do incredibly well is we understand the operational level because we've fought for licenses and been involved in operations and you know I have close friends who run these operations and we, we, we get along well with a lot of industry participants so we get a lot of feedback on these things. We invest because we know banking's an issue. We invest for for the we try to be invest in the places that become WD forty for these friction elements that hold companies back. And so we're trying to identify them. So as much as you have a Wells Fargo who's taking you know, for them, they might say, hey, if I had a compliance tool that could help me monitor Steep Hill's business better, we might let them stay as a banking client. And guess what? We invested, remember late last year, we invested in a compliance tool called Simplifya, which one of the the overlays for that investment was that they help validate the supply chain elements of invest that that can help a bank and their partners with a they had investment from a company that does a lot of work for insurance companies and banking so it's evolving there and that's actually Meredith's core thesis so every time one of these stories comes out a bank or an industrious bank or someone maybe iron his 10 friends get together and say we're going to we're going to form a bank and we're going to figure out the compliance elements and we'll create either blockchain or AI, some way to, to where we can regulate those accounts. And, you know, Danny, we've had this conversation enough, so I know you're a, a very open audience to this. You know, Merida's investment thesis is to find those elements and then invest because that bank eventually is going to do that business because it's going to be a runaway train. And, and you know, banks typically don't want to be in the crosshairs, but down downstream, they don't want to lose millions of dollars of potential deposits either. Right. That's a great uh, ending in, in the sense of the biggest hindrance is the banking system and the biggest opportunity is the banking system for private equity firms run by people like you that see the opportunity that are able to not compete against 30 or 40 or 50 different people, but against five or six to find those opportunities. Yeah. And I see there's a, and it also brings a meritorious element to it where people, banks typically want to work with the most legitimate. And as the industry evolves, you're seeing more MIT physics, you know, like I said, you're seeing such legitimate people. I was going to go to MIT. Yeah. But I decided to go to Westchester Community College instead. Well, you thought it was a baseball. I wouldn't that that be make you too. It was my safety school. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) So Mitch, you're welcome to stay with us for this next segment. And I think it actually delves in and again something killing Ira's business is oh, not just God. the legalization of cannabis because you know people are, are now can legally smoke you used to bail those people out but it's also uh, sports gambling so when, when we come back oh, sure we're going to be chatting about the another aspect of the 10th amendment whenever we want to talk 10th amendment and, 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 and uh, sports gambling so uh, we will be back shortly you don't want to miss this Welcome back to Bale Street. Ira, we're going to talk about a subject that is near and dear to your heart. You and I have go back and forth. We sometimes wager with each other on correct outcomes of certain sporting events and so forth. But So there was something called the PASPA, which was the Professional Amateur Sports Protection Act, which was enacted in 1992. And that basically banned 
gambling outside of the state of Nevada on sports. Correct. And the reason it came about actually was Pete Rose. So as we know, Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle, Charlie Hustle, 1989 gets you know accused, whatever, banned, baseball gone. Okay, so that was basically impetus behind that act that passed in Congress. However, states realized that after a short, after a long period of time, Chris Christie in particular, the governor, New, the former governor of New Jersey, former former governor of New Jersey, he said, you know what, Atlantic City's dying. This is ridiculous. How can the federal government tell us we can't have gambling in our state casinos? Nevada has it. Right. right. Other politicians are protecting. So they argued against the, the ruling and they got a Supreme Court. Right. Here. Okay. So they met. There was a Supreme Court hearing was several months ago. It was late last year. And any moment now they're expecting a ruling. And the thought is that the rule is going to be that this PASPA cannot be imposed because it was not a congressional law right. into these states. And the state should be allowed, if they want gambling, they should be allowed to have gambling. And the states are now gearing up. New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Mississippi, West Virginia have already either passed bills waiting well, in their local jurisdictions. Hold on. Right. So this is another area that is going to be a huge cash cow, just like cannabis, could right. be potentially, right. at the state level. So I want to get your thoughts on Well, the I ga- mean, my thoughts are, I don't want it. I mean, obviously, I've been doing bails for, you know, enterprise corruption, uh, gambling cases. Is that what we call mafia? Again, (laughs) we're not going to use that word. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, For the enterprise corruption cases where, you know, they've, you know, for sports betting where they've been going offshore to Costa Rica or Dominican Republic or wherever they've been going. And uh, obviously the government has been, you know, bringing them down on these cases. And, you know, it's a big part of my business. And uh, I don't know if they're going to legalize it. I know they're fighting it. And, uh, you know, I, I do see the NBA standing behind it because they're looking to throw their money in it like they've done with FanDuel or DraftCon, whatever the other one is. And Well, DraftKings and FanDuel, which merged, by the way. The Correct. fact that you can bet on fantasy sports and Yeah, players. but you saw, what, you saw what the AG's office did over there first, blocking them as much as they could. Well, they wanted a piece of the action. Well, isn't that everybody well, looking for well, a Well, Ira, can I action? ask you a question, though? Because Go this for is, it. I mean, you're obviously an expert in space. I mean, has there ever been a lack of clients for you? I mean, if, 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 if gambling goes away... Well, I don't There's think, see, here's why, here's why gambling won't go away. And I'm going to say one thing, credit. Right. Because if you go up to the casino, you're going to spend $1,000 on a game. If you go to a bookmaker, he might give you $50,000 credit. Right. And then, and as soon as- It's always as, about leverage to you. And, Honestly, I didn't, I never realized he-, he, he That's his term for loan I was too big to fail. He's too big to fail. He's all about too big to fail. And then here's another thing. Okay, and we and you know not that I've gambled before, but you know bookmakers will turn around and give you action back. They'll give you twenty, thirty percent back if you're a good customer. So that's well, you an, get a free room in a casino. Does if good you mean gamble. you gamble yeah, well, a lot a, or you lose? I'm a loser. No, I'm saying is it, it is good qualified? Like, does it is a bookie more happy if you're a frequent gambler or if I you're think, just a losing gambler? On I the think one bet both. You make? I think obviously as you gamble more, you lose unless you're Danny and you basically know that Patrick Reed's going to win the Masters. So that's a one in a million. I mean, you know, you know I got lucky. Yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's where they stand on uh, on this position. And I got to be honest with you, I don't know if it's going to pass or if it's going. You know, I so I want to say this. So. The argument that the NFL made for years, they've been against it, they say they're against it, this is bullshit, is that, oh, we can't have a, you know, we're not going to have a team in Las Vegas. So now the NHL and the NFL, NHL has one now, NFL will have one there in two years. I think Dwayne Johnson has actually brought them to Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) I've sold that show. Okay, okay, I just want to make sure, but they will be, so there's no argument left in terms, they're always worried, oh, it's going to impact the, you know, the the integrity of the sport. Well, they're afraid of what took place 
back with NYU with basketball with the shaving points and they're back, you know. Tim Donahue with the NBA. NBA, and we can go on and on and on. But at least now they can legally do it if they're shaving points and doing games. At least it'll be different. (laughs) At least in Jersey, you can just go down there and and, and at the window. So I think that, uh, you know, again, Mitch, to bring this back to cannabis, it's another revenue, seriously revenue generating, and then to bring it full back to what's going on with, with the current budget deficit. Things are not going well. We just had a massive tax cut, which is great for companies and so forth and stock prices. However, that will end up eating at the budgets of the local communities. Therefore, this is something, both these things, cannabis and sports gambling, and I feel like the two are kind of conjoined, that once you start to get approval for one, it paves the way for the other. And whether sports gambling leads cannabis or cannabis leads sports gambling, these states, and it's not a coincidence, there's several of the states that are the same, and they're recognizing the revenue opportunity. So I think, and I just want to mention some stocks that are out there that deal in the sports gambling space. So, so you're giving a stock tip right now? No, I'm just telling you to make sure people are aware, and most people can look it up and figure that out. But okay. in the states that would be looking to approve legalized sports gambling, now some are cannibalizing on their own business in Las Vegas, right? If there's less reason for me to go to Las Vegas. And, and you mean some, canner, the canner gaming? The can, well, the I'm talking about even, even, even going to a Wynn Hotel. If, if, but Wynn has enough stuff outside of Las it. Vegas okay. now. People will go there for March Madness, right? They'll gamble in the sports book, the Super Bowl. If you can do that in Atlantic City instead, that's because Chris Christie's idea. Why is everyone leaving and flying to Las Vegas for the first week in the March Madness when they could be coming down and betting all the games, even though they don't have all the connections that Ira has to get the guy that's going to give you leverage and then loan shark you, kill your firstborn, and you'll be over? I'm saying, you know, like, really have cash to put up. Okay, you got me. So, you know, these states are doing it. So I think it's going to happen. I think this ruling is going to be... People are not really talking about it. There's a lot of other things going on in the world, but I would pay attention to that over the next couple of weeks. By the time this airs, I would say so. William Hill, which is headquartered in London, not, do, not Henry Hill's brother, not, he, okay. not Henry. That was all we had. Henry It was everything. <laughs> Karen, Karen. So WMHLN, but there is a local ADR you can trade. They're doing all the horse track betting. If if gambling becomes legal in New Jersey, for instance, they want it to be at the racetracks, right, and potentially down at the casinos. So. William Hill would run. They run the sports book already. They would get that business, okay. right? Caesars, MGM, Empire, which is symbol NY, NY, New York. If right. New York became legal, they would have it. Penn Gaming, obviously Pennsylvania is one of the states that would do it. Las right. Vegas Sands. Right. Not only Vegas, they have Pennsylvania as well. Churchill Downs, which already has a massive presence on several tracks, six or seven tracks, has casinos already. But sports gambling, they already do horse paramutual, but if they did, that would that would be big. So there's a lot of have ways. Have those stocks moved? Yes, Just a, as a question. I was going to ask you, so, I mean, you know, like the uh, the famous book by Suryaki, The Wisdom of Crowds, uh, when the- when the I state... just finished it. I just did it. Yeah. yeah. After it's I read, old. War, so I read War and yeah. Peace first, and I, I read yeah. that. Well, this one's short. It's, it's this is, uh, so in, in that book, when the space shuttle with Christy McAuliffe in 1983 crashed, uh, the stock market pounded the 28 aerospace sure. stocks, and then the only one that was still down after six months, two years later, they get to the co- congressional inquiry, and they finally figure out it's the flanges, and- the one stock that was still down. So the market tends to figure these things out quicker. What is the market saying about these stocks so far? After the Supreme Court hearing yeah. in November, oh, yeah. the stocks went up because they felt that the... Okay. Because Ruth what Bader was... She was playing craps. So they were like... <laughs> Ruth she, Bader, well, Yeah, she's all about it. By the way, right? she's been dead for... They're just keeping her alive so Trump can't appoint anybody. She, I think she's been dead for some time. Although <laughs> oh I just gosh. saw her dancing on some show the other day. Dancing so with the stars. God, God bless her. But uh, anyway, that's something I, I would pay attention to. And again... This whole idea, our show, Bale Street, is when our worlds kind of collide. And here you have two opportunities. In, two opportunities that I don't know if I really want in my world. Well, exactly. I really, you have, have to invest adjust. and make money. You have to find a way so to make money off hedge. So I should hedge. You, you have to hedge. You, you see? All right. So, Danny, you you're see? Gonna, no problem. I got it. I'll figure yeah. it out. You should invest in Merida Capital Partners. You should. I should. should. Yeah. Follow should. the smart money. 
Yeah? Yeah. The dumb money. Well, I appreciate you saying smart money. That's great. Yeah, the, the dumb money took Tiger Woods in, in the Masters. Right. The and smart the money. That was emotional. We're the unemotional money. Got it. Take yeah. the McGregor bail and put that into the nervous money. I could do that. Yeah. Well, well, right, maybe so, I could talk to Connor to see if he'll loan me a, a few bucks. Yeah, yeah we'll you make a fortune in. off of that fifty thousand oh, dollars bill. Connor. You're rooting for him to jump, and then you can uh, trade. Connor him is Connor seems going. like the kind of guy who can endorse a CBD line, by the way, because uh, he likes you know organic products, and CBD is going to be me, big. I'll organic make products. For I thought he's full of synthetic products. No. Isn't that what happened to? Him? Didn't get tested. Didn't he's he not throw? a natural. Connor guy? McGregor allegedly is completely natural. Okay, you, you completely natural. That man is is the epitome of natural. Okay. All right. You can just right. tell by the way he moves. You know, guys he's who are on steroids, they, their joints don't last that long. He's so oh, nimble and nah. flexible. He, he's a wor- he works his Although, butt off. When he works. went crazy he last some anger week, anger management issues. That yeah, I mean, that that kind of looks like a nineteen eighties Jersey short episode. Like that. Well, I know, you know a lot of people that lose their temper a little bit. You know, <laughs> a little bit, a tiny bit. When's the last time you threw a dolly? Oh God, that had to be back in uh, <laughs> six months. Four, eighty-four, eighty-five. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap it up on that. That's it for this episode of Bale Street. I'm Ira Jettleson. I'm Danny Moses, and we'll see you next time on Bale Street. You've been listening to Bale Street. Learn more and subscribe today at balestreet.com. <laughs>